This is part two of the mental health and emotional intelligence. Okay, let's start with a word of prayer. I invite you just to bow your head where you are as we seek the Lord in prayer. Most loving, kind, and gracious Father in heaven, once again we are thankful, dear Lord, for the opportunity to learn more about the organ that you have placed on between our ears. An organ that is used, dear Lord, and should be used for your honor, glory, and praise. And Lord, as we learn more, we ask not only for understanding, but we ask for the will and the desire to live according, dear Lord, to your word. That we may follow your guidelines, your precepts, to live a life that you call us to live. Once again, only for the purpose of giving glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So yesterday, what we have learned, I hope, is the uh, neurodevelopmental process that takes place between your two ears. Uh, we have showed you that Brain development takes place from fertilization. There's a process already. And development continues, at least in, in this, this aspect that we're looking at, until late adolescent, early adulthood. And all these processes are very specific, very timely, and cause in delay or early expression could lead to a particular psychiatric mental uh, disability or disorder, pathophysiology. So we, we, we underlined yesterday the importance of the time window during childhood in which the brain is very plastic, able to absorb information, not only absorb information, but it is a time when the highest Susceptibility to stress damage takes place. Okay? So not, not only they're the most plastic, but at the same time, they're the mo most vulnerable to insults. Physical, chemical, or whatever you want to call it. But insult that takes place at a cellular level. We have also underlined yesterday, uh, showed you some data from uh, one of the best published paper, that uh, city living and urban upbringing. That means children that are born into the city, raised into the city, have a more uh, susceptible to psychiatric disorder in later life. Now you say, what? there must be something in the city that causes this developmental process to be disturbed. And we know that what that is, is the stressful life, lifestyle that, is involved, that comes with the city and many other uh, factors that a child should not be exposed to. Now, what we're going to go through today is how to maintain. Now, well, it's too late for us, you might say. We're all being born. We're all adults. But how the, the, the question now is that 
for us that are born, for us that are adult, how do we maintain a stable emotion or a healthy mind? So just a few quotes again. We're going to start with a few quotes, and then we're going to go build it up on the, what the spirit of prophecy in the Scripture says. And then we're going to discuss some of the scientific data that exists to support some of these uh, quotes or some of the, the, uh, the, 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 the recommendations and the counsels that the spirit of prophecy gives us. Notice what it says in Fundamentals of Christian Education, page 426. The mind controls the whole man. All our action, good or bad, have their source in the mind. It is the mind that worships God and allies us to heavenly beings. We already read yesterday two quotes from non-Adventists that tells you, experts in the field, that says that my, our mind is the what? The center of battle. It's interesting. Why? Because it's the seat of decision for moral and spiritual what? Decisions. Interesting. And these are not part of people who, who read the spirit of prophecy. These are people who simply study the mind. Notice what it says again. I'd like to underline what Education 41 says. He who created the mind and ordained its laws provided for its development in accordance with them. Okay, we I've at least pointed out some, some basic thing. I didn't go to the details that everything takes place in the brain is designed. Nothing ever happened by accident. Okay, so even when you look at the evolution theory and you put that evolution theory and see whether the brain development fits within that box, it doesn't. Why? Because every signaling process, every receptors, every neurotransmitters are timed, sequenced. One mistake, that's it. Everything goes haywire. One mistake. And that's how meticulously the process is. Now, we've also underlined yesterday that uh, prenatal life is controlled by God. We show that prenatal life is very important in the development of the brain. The moment they fertilize and the, the, the sperm meets the egg and they say hi to each other and decide that, okay, the Lord decided you're going to be somebody. You're going to be rum, for example. Then it begins. Look what it says. The parent's work must begin with the child it's in, inf in its infancy, that it may receive the right impressions of character ere the world shall place its stamp on the mind and heart. What he's saying is that if parents don't do it, who will do it? The world will. Okay? Now, there's been a suggestion earlier. Some, somebody uh, said, uh, asked me, uh, a young person asked me regarding going into secular university. What would you tell a young person who wants to study and go to secular university? And it's, it's, it's a challenge to answer that question. But I, to I, I told this young person that 
the, the problem is not necessarily on the secular university. The problem is in the upbringing. Because if the upbringing is done correctly, by the time they go to the university, things are fixed. But if it's absent, if they have been formed by the world, of course when they go to the world, they are in the world. But if, they, if the early education has been molded, stamped, then you have nothing to worry in, in a sense. You just remain faithful to God, follow His precepts, you'll be fine by the grace of God. I'm not saying that's a stamp to go and seek and go to a secular university right away. You have to find an alternative. But for many of us, it's not possible. So what do you do? You stay uneducated? I think God has given you the brain to think for yourself on this one. Okay? The first three years, notice what it says. The first three years is the time in which to bend the tiny twig. Mother should understand the importance attaching to this period. It is then that the foundation is laid. Interesting. The first three years. And if we go back to our graphs. Oh, where is it? Okay, sorry. I'm not tuned to this. Okay, it's the other way. Okay, the first three years, you look at the, you, you, you look at the development in the trajectory, it's before the five, when the excitatory synapses in the prefrontal cortex is being developed. It's on the rise. It is a time when children receive so much information without much inhibition. You get it? Which means, everything that is loaded on me, bam, 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 there's nothing to filter it out to clean it up. So what does that mean? Everything is absorbed. The first three years. So when all these things are absorbed, of course, in adulthood, it's there. Can't just easily remove it. Everything that's in your brain from the beginning is there. It's just a question of accessing it. And certain environment, certain stimulus, certain uh, circumstances brings out or allows things to be accessed. And that's why there are certain things that sometimes you, you wonder, have I experienced this before? And you wonder, surely I've, experienced, surely I've seen this person before. And they always say, well, maybe in my previous life. You, you've heard this term before. What they do not know is from the childhood, their brain is absorbing. It's like a sponge. It just soaks. And there's no way to filter out anything. The filtering out takes much later. Relevant information takes much later. Go, go ahead, sister. That's what I'm saying. There are many instances, every daily life in which you encountered while your inhibitory system filters it out as irrelevant information. And all of a sudden, you experience something and say, I've experienced this before, but I can't remember when 
how, where, this is happening again. So your brain, uh, like I said, there are many things happening in this room. Some of the things you're not aware of, like this child here talking to you with a paper, you know, it's like somebody, like last night when we were, we were having our session here, there was a ball bouncing at the back, a child. Your brain begins to ignore that, but it's there. It's in your head. You see? See, and you, like I'm saying, you have a filtering system, and the inhibitory neuron's job is to clean up the irrelevant information. One of them. One is to really inhibit one is to simply filter. I'm just, I just want to raise that, the fact that it's interesting how, as I told you, here, child guidance, page 194, that the first three years in time in which to bend to tiny twigs, I thought, wonder myself, first three years, I look at this and I look at the data that exists in, but wow, in these three years, really, it's like, she says, three years. And you see that in the curve. Coincidence? I'll let you be the judge of that. But I just present to you what has, what has been said in the spirit of prophecy. I present to you what exists in the scientific data. It says here, too much importance cannot be placed on early training of children. The lesson that the child learns during the first seven years of life have, have more to do with forming character than all that it learns in future years. Okay? That's why the, the Catholic Church even says, you give me your child for the first six years, I'll give you an altar, altar boy. Because they know it themselves. The early development is the most crucial time in order for us to form, train our children. Okay? But look at what the system does. Okay? The system wants to take your children away from you in that first seven years. Why? Because they want to form the character of your children. There's more things behind the scene that we do not know. Okay? Which means that all this religious fanaticism can be eradicated when we start with the young people in conditioning their mind to fit within our system. Ever thought of that? To stop it at, the, at, at, at adulthood, is, it's too late. It's there. So where do you need to go? Young people, children. So guard your children with care. Look what it says. The impressions made on the heart early in life are seen in after years. They may be buried, but they will be seldom obliterated. It's interesting. Child Guidance 194, written 100 years ago. She tells us the information is in your head. You just need to access it. You cannot get rid of it. Science tells you it is there. You just have to find way and the path to access it. Notice again, Selected Message, Volume 2, page 437. During the first six or seven years of child's life, special attention should begin to its physical training rather than the intellect. Okay? Rather than the intellect. What do we do is the other way. We give them books already. Bam! Rather than the physical. What the, why? 
Why, why is the physical important? We'll, we'll, we'll learn more about that later. Parents, especially mothers, should be the only teachers of such infant minds. They should not educate from books. The children generally will be inquisitive to learn new things of nature. They will ask questions in regard to the things they see, they hear, and parents should improve opportunity to instruct and patiently answer these little inquiries. The mother's tender loving instructions at tender age is what is needed by children in their formation of character. Now, it's interesting again, physical training rather than the intellect. Now, you will notice yesterday, I don't think I have it on this slide, but I have it on yesterday's slide. The first trajectory that I showed you with plasticity and development. And the first peak you see is sensory. The second peak that you see is motor and language. And the third, cognitive. Right? The last to develop in terms of plasticity is the cognitive. So why would you want to give books to a two to three year old to learn how to read when the plasticity for cognitive takes place much later? Have you ever thought of that? Again, the spirit of prophecy tells you. Science is just beginning to catch up. Or am I the only one seeing it? Uh, to be honest with you, I have not even thought of this until I start reading more to prepare for this session. It was this session that, that helped me see it and put the things together. It was not because I started reading this and, and no, I pray, I was not here, I was not ready to accept, to, to do a, 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 a workshop on, 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 on mind, health, and emotional intelligence because I thought to myself, this is like a Goliath to do in three hours. There is no way. But you know, I said, I prayed about it and the Lord said, you got to do it. So if it's not for you, beloved, it was for me. Because I learned it. And I learned to put things together and said, wow, my trust on the spirit of prophecy has increased in the last week and a half based on this and what I know of science. Because I didn't put them together until a few days ago. Notice, sensory was the first one. What is sensory? Hearing, seeing, smelling, touching. You name it. There's at least six of them. Okay? Taste. And they what? Curiosity. They ask questions. And they are to be educated on that. Right now, my, my, my three-year-old daughter is in a Y phase. You know the Y phase? Why? 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 Parents, that comes to you. Will, comes to all of us. And this is the time in which we must be patient to give an answer and think of the answer. Because your answer will shape them. For the future. So don't 
you can probably get away with saying, because I said so. Right? This is why. Because I said so. This is the impatient response. But we are to also give an explanation. And when at the time comes when explanation is given, there comes a time says, sweetheart, because I said so. Trust me on this one. But at the same time, we are to give an explanation such that their curiosity and their question is answered and given a reason for. Notice what it says. Now we're going to, oh, sorry, I, I went too fast. Okay. Now we're going to go and dive into more lifestyle issues. Now the question is, for us that are already born, you say, well, it's too late. Very too late for me. I'm outside that curve. Okay. Now what, what can I do? in order for me to maintain at least what I have. Because from now on, the moment I'm born, like I told you yesterday, I'm downhill. Why? Because my brain cells start firing and dying. Okay? Now, there's, there's a way to regenerate, and we'll talk about that later, but there, there's a way to maintain at least what you have in, in, a, in, in an optimal state. Notice what it says. If by correct habits of eating and drinking, the blood is kept pure, the brain will be properly nourished. Now, I, I, I told you yesterday that there is an element in your, uh, there is an antioxidant in, your, in the living cell called glutathione. The principal antioxidant in a living tissue. Okay? And they, are the, they, they police the entire environment of your brain in terms of neutralizing, turning radicals, reactive radical species. These are dangerous, bad guys, and neutralizing them into something less harmful. Now, this glutathione can be enhanced and boosted with correct diet. So the fighting mechanism of your brain can be enhanced by what you eat and what you drink. Okay? Notice what it says. When it comes to eating, indulgence of appetite is the greatest cause of physical and mental debility and lies at the foundation of the feebleness which apparent, is apparent everywhere. Indulgence of appetite. What does that mean, indulgence of appetite? Well, who here don't like to eat? No, oh, you don't like to eat. Man, you're, we need to talk. I need to get some of your genes. Because I love to eat. Do you like, don't you like to eat? Yeah, it's one of, the, one of the things, the blessing that God has given us is to eat. But indulgence, you have the blessing of not having that. But for most of us, it's an issue. Okay? Now why do I say, what has God, indulgence got to do with the brain? Well, you'll be surprised that certain parts of your brain is connected, or at least directly communicates with your stomach. Okay? Have you noticed? Just, just explain. Have you noticed this one? When, when you're in an exam room, okay, and somehow you didn't have, maybe your breakfast was not heavy enough, 
And it's been, you've been sitting in the exam for the past two hours. And your belly starts going rumbling. And the more you control it, the louder it gets. Yes or no? Yeah? The one say, please be quiet. And the more you get concerned, the more you get stressed, the louder it gets. Yes or no? You, you, you tell me. It's stress-related. So when all your stress is connected to your stomach, digestive system. And it begins to talk to you. It's like, yes, don't even tell me. You cannot control me. Your belly is like, and louder and louder it gets. The more you drink water, it's still there. You can tell that there is a, there is a connection between your brain and your belly. There's a saying, who, who was it? That, was it uh, Elder Page who said the other night that the way, somebody said it, I can't remember who it was, that the way to a, is through the, sto- through the stomach, right? The only heart is through the stomach. Yeah, it goes through the head first and then to the heart. Okay? All right. Notice what it says. The intellectual, the moral, and the physical power are depreciated by habitual use of flesh meats. Okay? Meat eating deranges the system, beclouds the intellect, blunts the mortal sensibilities. Moral sensibilities, sorry. Misspelling. Moral sensibilities. Okay? So here... And then I just want to end with this quote before we, we break that down. Whether therefore you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So we do know, you know, there, there is a, out there, there is a picture of vegetariana. Okay? And it was in, it's in local language. But I guess it's saying that high IQ, it's like Einstein, right? You see the picture there? You didn't see it. In the vegetarian boot, vegan boot, right? So it's using Einstein. Why? Because he's a vegetarian. High IQ. Well, we should put Adam and Eve on that because they have the highest IQ. Not only that, they live the longest. So there is a connection between, of course, meat eating and, of course, because we we do know that meat has more toxins they, are more, they have more hormones. And your brain, of course, what you eat is who you are. They taste good. They do. I'm not going to disagree with that. But the effect on your mind is another level. Yes, my brother. It takes uh, 47 hours to digest meat and okay. four hours or something with vegetarian food. I, I have no idea, yes. but thank so you for informing. Yeah. So if you, if, if, if you say that it, it does take that long to digest, it means your brain has to be active. Yes, exactly. Okay, and this is probably also the reason why, not probably, but mainly the reason why whenever you eat a lot and you go to sleep, you have nightmares. Yes or no? Yes. Because again, your stomach and your brain is connected. Okay, you cannot isolate it. Actually, there, the, uh, there is a, a group of scientists that records uh, fear response in the amygdala. Amygdala is the, is the brain region that processes 
fear-related uh, environment. I'll give you, a, for example, I see a snake, okay? It, the information even bypasses how the cord it goes to amygdala, ah, snake, danger, okay? And so this region in the brain called amygdala is highly activated. And they have a connection to the gustatory, basically your intestine region of the, brain, uh, of the stomach. So you can see a direct connection. But with regards to fear, I mean, that's probably the reason why I'm saying that whenever you have had too much muesli or something in the evening and it's like just too heavy, you still have a, a nightmare. Why? Because it has a connection with your fear response region that you have. And this is highly activated and you, be, you, you become more, more afraid of certain things. And nightmare is usually related to what? Being afraid of something. Yes. Elm um, Dwight says something about we should never eat a meal when we're in a hurry or in an agitated state of mind or worried about something. We shouldn't eat. Yes, because again, the stress component and this component interacts together. So you, you're able to put and two, two, two and two together by knowing this. Again, the spirit prophecy is full of it. Counsels. The scientific is absent. It's just beginning to, to catch up. Sorry, just one question. Sure. What about eating fruits just before you sleep? Is that correct? I'm not agree well, that. indulgence is something else. You know, it, it, I'm not sure whether a grape or two is going to kill you or you have a nightmare with that. But when you indulge it, you eat a basket of it. Then it's something else. You, you, you see what I mean? Everything has to be in moderate and in right amount. Meaning right is what, what your body is able to handle. Because even if it's fruits, okay, even if it's water, if I drink two liters to three liters of water at one go, it may not be necessarily good for me if I've been drinking all day. You see? It's, it's about energy. You, you are putting energy inside your body when you actually are about to sleep. Sure, but. Fruits brings lots of energy, so that's why it's not in Well, uh, it might well be. I'm just saying that these are things that uh, when we say fruits, uh, in terms of what quantity. I mean, if you say basket of fruit, okay. But if it's a grape or two, I don't think it's going to be harmful for you. But. Again, God has given us the brain. We are to discern what is right based on the principles given to us. Any kind of food is energy. Any kind of food is energy. Sugar. I mean, you have sugar. Mm -hmm. Because uh, it will not be absorbed like that. It will be transformed in proteins, uh, acid, uh, whatever. So any kind of food. I agree with you that it's energy, so that's what it's. I think that we should study ourselves and see what is good for me to eat and how much is good for me to eat in, in, in the evening. It will not be the same for all of us mm -hmm. because we are different. Mm -hmm. Let's see. But the principle rest that it's not good to eat. Yes, that's why there's a saying that for breakfast you eat like a king. For lunch, you eat like a what? And then for supper, you eat like a pauper. 
Okay? But in the end of the day, when you look into the biblical principles, we are only to eat two meals anyway. You do know that. Okay? Because when, when, when Elijah was provided for food, he was not provided three, three, three times a day. God provided twice. Morning and evening. So if God would have would, 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 uh, I mean, you have to think of, of Elijah. He was where? In the wilderness. Okay? And if he's, how much energy does he need? You would say, well, he should, he should it's hot and so forth. He, he needs a lot. But God provided twice. What? Because it's all that his body needs. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's clear. Because, uh, again, babies... For example, they had to be breastfed every two to three hours in the beginning, and then four. And then it's, it depends again on, on how, how they are. Uh, of course, it, children, you cannot, uh, they require energy to grow. Uh, I think he was speaking more of, of adults, all right? I think, it's not, not uh, children. But of course, with children, uh, you, you have to know that the children, they, they need energy to grow. They need their rest. They need their sleep. They need much more than we do. Their metabolism is also much faster than ours. Their heartbeat is faster than ours. They run around a lot. So they burn a lot of calories than we do. But uh, what if I go to the gym a lot? Should I eat only two meals? I think uh, I'll be starving. Yeah, that, that is also clear. As, uh, your, your activity defines mm -hmm. what your intake would be. But for many of us, we don't go to the gym, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. Many of us do not have like how it used to be that when we're farming, we're doing it ourselves. Like with a cow or something, that they're walking the field. Now we have are sitting on a tractor all day. And so the energy intake is different. Of course, in the in in hundred years ago or two hundred years ago, when labor, manual labor, or even today, those that are involved in manual labor needs higher intake because they they require the energy. So the normal would be three then. I'm not saying that we should only take two. I'm just telling you the biblical principle. You ha you have to know it for yourself. Okay. It's always good to to read those quotes from Andrew write about this in context and I'm 100% sure that she says for most of us in that context and she and all other things where she was counseling about health uh, reform she makes exceptions about people living exactly. in different countries mm -hmm. and saying about one person here taking it too much to an excuse too much to an extreme and so on and so forth because I know some people that should be eating supper because they're way too skinny mm -hmm. and they take this two meal thing for themselves when they shouldn't. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not skinny and I take three. Yeah. So that's why I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you that th there's an ideal. Yeah. All right? I should take two. And I, I need to be forced to take two. And thank you, sister, for putting that in the right context. I'm just telling you that God gave us an ideal, but it doesn't mean that fits for all because each person has different physical need. Obviously, Elijah did not need it. So he provided but he's saying that at least two survivable. Okay? I'm not saying that you all now don't have lunch. 
There will be lots of food in the kitchen. And then who's going to take them home? Anyway, but my point is that you, God has given you the brain. Use it for His glory. Okay. Healthy diet reduces oxygen stress in the brain. What does that mean? Look what it says. Free radicals and oxy radicals play an important role in the development and progression of many brain disorders such as brain injury, such as neurodegenerative diseases, such as schizophrenia and Down syndrome. What are free radicals? Okay, free radicals and oxy radicals. Well, you get a bottle of Coke, then you get a lot of radicals in there. Okay, just to give you a, a picture. Anything that has too much sugar is going to be radical. Okay? So they're going to be harmful. It, it, it's interesting. The Bible says, be a salt unto the earth. He doesn't say be a sugar to the earth. <laughs> Have you thought, ever thought of that? Sugar is also taste. But he doesn't say be a sugar to the earth. Why? Because sugar kills, salt medicates, preserves. You see? There's, you, have you ever thought of it? I was, it all came down to me again as prepare, preparing this. It's like, yeah, sugar really kills. Salt is used for healing, but you would never see sugar used for healing unless you're diabetes. But that's something else because you are lacking something. Chemicals that can cause toxicity to certain brain cells are to decrease the cerebral glutathione, making the cell vulnerable to rust damage. As I said to you already, there are certain things that becomes an inhibitor of the synthesis of your antioxidant. Certain chemicals acts as an inhibitor. So since you have something that it's inhibiting something very important, you will lack it. And when you lack it, secondary cause, your cell is vulnerable to toxins, oxyradicals, or free radicals. Now, I, I talked briefly about this yesterday in which what we have done in the, in the research field is that we have shown that a juvenile, adolescent, and adult, three time period condition in the brain. That's juvenile, adolescent, adult. And we see that in the juvenile, there's high oxygen stress naturally occurring there is high oxygen stress as well in 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 uh, in adolescent but not as much in adulthood why because during development there's a lot of activity a lot of things that are taking place but at the same time all these things happening at once as well as all the environmental stimuli builds and causes some kind of, uh, I would say, not damage, but it would cause burden on the central nervous system. Now, when we, what we have done is that we introduce these animals into an antioxidant, which is N-acetylcysteine. And N-acetylcysteine is a, is a precursor to glutathione, which means it helps boost the glutathione, your defense, your antioxidant. So we, we, we provided that during the young age and saw, you can see, oh, sorry, counterfeit. 
All right. So this is the control. Okay. This is when there is stress in the animal for 10 days. In the, in the uh, control animal. This is in an animal that has a defect in the antioxidant system. And this is in the animal that has a defect in an antioxidant system exposed to stress. You will see these are markers for the green here is markers for brain we call DNA, mitochondrial DNA damage. So it's damage to the cells. Notice that it's more prominent in the animal that has low glutathione and exposed to stress. In the animal that has low glutathione, there are some level of, uh, of stress damage. In the control, in those that have no genetic uh, deficit, even a stress has a minimal uh, stress effect. This is the interneurons that is involved in, uh, in the prefrontal cortex. It's, it's involved in decision-making. Okay? It's involved in regulating whenever you are, for example. Uh, we, we have shown that when, patient, when subjects or patients are playing with constant card, okay, maybe a card test in which you are watching this card test and eventually you understand the rule by just watching it. It's like we're playing Uno. You know Uno? You may not know the game, but you sit there after a while you pick up the rule. Okay? So when, you, when somebody is watching that and recording the brain activity, these cells are involved, they, they fire in synchrony, suggesting that they are involved in the learning process and decision-making. Okay? So now, in this condition, you will notice that when there is a lot of oxygen stress taking place, when, low, when you have low deep antioxidant and high stress level, you will find that your cells are damaged. Which means the filtering of your brain involved in decision-making and so forth is void in the prefrontal cortex, very specific region. Just to simplify it, here we provided the N-acetylcysteine and then it blocks it, the stress, you see, compared to that. The interneurons are back and healthy. You can see that antioxidant is a proof of concept that antioxidant help these cells survive a stressful condition in a compromised state when there is deficit in glutathione. So that just proves to, one, to you and I that antioxidant itself, intake, because this was taken in the water, can cross the blood-brain barrier, which means can get to the brain locally and have a therapeutic effect, which means if you have a diet that is rich in antioxidant and glutathione precursor, for example, curcumin, curcumin, it's, it's, it's a herb that you use in Indian cuisine. Huh? Curcumin, yes. Curcumin. Okay? For example, soya is rich in glutathione. Okay? Now you have 
they what is Dr. Nedley's he he had a he has a bar. What is it? He has this bar, the three omega bar or uh, something like that. Okay, what? But it's just the I can't remember what the bar is called. But what I do know is that that is a precursor to boosting glutathione synthesis. Okay. So it's not working directly uh, on what he what 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 he proposed it as, but it works through the glutathione pathway. Sorry, did you want to ask a question? Yeah, I just am wondering what other things you can get because I can't evoke it. Sure. Well, what what we do know is that they are they can be they are plant based vegetables, so you can get them in in vegetables. Uh, at what quantity? It has not all been analyzed. You know, we know that they are they are present in plants, they are present in vegetables, and in some fruits. But in terms of quantity, it's hard because nobody's actually gone and say, okay, I'm going to measure how much glutathione there is there. Okay? Or precursor to that. It is our job, yours and mine, nowadays, if we want to follow this up and take it up on, on how to, how to, how to, how to quantify those and see whether we can use them. But I'm just letting you know, if you find... You, you go and, and search for food, it's like, okay, just find the content, there's a lot of glutathione in there, active glutathione, just, those will be helpful for you. Rather than, there are tablets, but don't go with, with synthetics. Go with natural, okay? Because there's a, there, it's the same as like, I lack vitamin C, so what do I do? There are people, there are people like, oh, they go to the pharmacy and like, ah, bam, 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 and they have oh, vitamin C. Yes, I'm going to be healthy. No. Because the problem here is that there is a very important balance in your system. Something that, I, that vitamin C can be pro-oxidant. Don't, don't, don't think that this is, this is all good for you. In excess, they work as free radicals. Okay, because I have we have shown this in also in in in, in animal that when you use this thing, uh, the the N-acetylcysteine, in a condition when there is no stress, it does damage. But it's an antioxidant. You see my point? So uh, that's why I'm saying when when you go with synthetics, that's the danger. When you go with natural. You can never go overdose with natural because you have to eat a truckload of plant, eggplant, whatever, in order to overdose yourself. And it will never happen. You, you see what I mean? Okay, so that's why I said diet rich in cysteine would therefore uh, would have similar preventative role. Okay, now, notice what it says. Again, a second element, which you already know, by the way, but I'm going to produce some scientific findings and, and data. Inactivity is a fruitful cause of disease. Exercise quickens and equalizes the circulation of the blood. But in idleness, the blood does not circulate freely and the changes in it, so necessary to life and health, do not take place. Now, Morassi, just last year, 
in neuroscience shows that researchers discovered that we can foster new brain cells through neurogenesis, a process called neurogenesis. What is this neurogenesis? What is this all about? Okay, I'll give you an example. You put a mouse in a cage that has a wheel. Uh, what do you call those? Running wheel. Or you can do put a hamster if you want. <laughs> okay? <laughs> hamster, rat, but uh, mice. But what we do know is that mice, you put them in, in, a, in a cage that has that. Okay? And those mice will go into the cage and will go to those treadmill for mice, their wheels, and they start running. And they go crazy running. Okay? And they do this for half an hour, an hour. Okay? And you get that every single day for two weeks, three weeks. And you look into the brain and you find there are new cells being born in the hippocampus. Now, what is hippocampus, you might say? Well, hippocampus is a brain region involved in memory and learning. So that's why when you go running and you go study, you think, man, my, my brain is more fresh today. Why? Because you just had an activity and it helps generate new brain cells. It's called neurogenesis. The, they, 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 the scientists have fancy names for it. I beg your pardon? Yeah, it's, it's also activity. I'm just saying that in this case, it's mice running. But any activity that, uh, that causes they, they, uh, because some of the neurons are activity-driven. What I mean by activity-driven is that you will find also in, I think I might have it here. Okay, this is another case. This is more human. But in, in, in some cases, you, you have uh, activity increases what we call brain-derived neural growth factors, BDNF. And these BDNF growth factors are involved in producing new cells. And they are activity-driven. If, if, if the mice is not active, then this BDNF is low. When the mice is active, then it increases and helps neurogenesis. Okay? Now, I just wanted to, to show this to you that it says it's, again, it's very new. International Journal of New... Neuropsychopharmacology, notice what it says. Regular exercise prevents both cognitive and non-cognitive disturbance in a rat model of, of Alzheimer's. Now, what is Alzheimer's, you might say? Well, Alzheimer's, you will know that when you're diagnosed with Alzheimer's, it's irreversible, too late. There's no going back, okay? But notice... An induced thing in, in, in the rat, it says, they have previously reported that sporadic Alzheimer's generated by administration of something, I'm just going to free you from that burden, exhibit learning and memory impairment. Okay? So basically, a model for, animal, uh, for, for the disease induces what? Learning and memory impairment, which could be attributed to the to the alterations in the level of cognitive-related signal molecule. They showed that four weeks 
Okay? Four weeks of treadmill exercise totally prevented this impairment. It's only four weeks. Imagine that. It prevented the effect of an Alzheimer. Look, notice again. They evaluated that exercise on non-cognitive function and basal synaptic transition in corner ammonis of CO. This, this again is in the, in the hippocampus. What, what does that mean by non-cognitive? Non-cognitive deals with anxiety-related behavior. So how do you measure anxiety? So here they showed paradigm in which they put them in an open field. Open field... I will de-arrange this for a while. Okay. Open field is very similar to this, only bigger. Okay? So the idea is that open field box has a wall. Wall. It's a quadrant. You put the mouse or a rat in the middle. Okay? What does a mouse, rat, put in the open field normally do? They go to the wall, go around. Why? Because open is what? They're scared because they are open to predators. Danger. So they take the side for safety. Okay? So a mouse that has a lot, is very anxious or a rat is very anxious, will never go to the middle. But normally... In the beginning, yes, they don't go to the middle, but in the, they, they hit the wall only in a normal condition. And then towards the end, when there is no danger, they begin to wander in the middle. If you put them there for 30 minutes, for example. Okay? So now, in the model uh, 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 of, uh, of this, the, the, in this condition, what it does is that these mice are not don't have anxiety, which means they go to the middle a lot. Not because they have motor function, simply they are not scared as much as they would be in normal condition. That's one test that they did. They also did the, did the elevated plasmase. What is an elevated plasmase? Again, it is elevated, so it's high. It's a maze, it's a cross. So you have that, a tunnel, which has a wall. A tunnel, uh, not a tunnel anymore, platform that is open. Okay? So you put the mouse in the middle or a rat, and if, uh, what, what the rat or mouse would normally do is go to the enclosed quadrants. They will not go to the open one. Why? Danger. Again, this rat or mouse would go to the open ones. So they're less anxious. And again, there's another, another test in which they use a paradigm they call light and dark box. So normally, an animal will go to the dark because it's safety. But they spend a lot of time in the light too. So you can see that regular exercise prevents both cognitive and non-cognitive disturbance in models of uh, 
of, of, of Alzheimer's. And it's also been shown in patients that regular exercise would, could help. The only problem, again, is that they are not, do, do not have a large study in patients is because normally when, when, they, when the patients are put in hospitals, it's often in a degenerative state. So they cannot no longer put them in a re regiment that would be of great help. But this is just to let you know that what exercise does. You want new brain cells? Go jogging with the guy who's in, who, who organizes jogging. May I ask you a question? When I, when I was a teenager, I was initiated into transcendental meditation. And my question is, how does mantra meditation affect the brain? We will go through that. I have one, I have one on that. A data. So that's why we're going to religion and the mind next. Okay? Notice what it says. Counsels to parents, teachers, and students. Page 541. The improvement of the mind is the duty which we owe to ourselves, to society, and to God. But we should never devise means for cultivation of the intellect at the expense of moral and the spiritual. It is only the harmonious development of both mental and moral faculties that the highest perfection of either can be attained. Let's follow it up. Okay. Religion and the mind. Notice what happens here. This was published in 2009 in Plus, Nine, uh, in Plus uh, Journal. Notice what it says. While religious faith remains one of the most significant features of human life, little is known about its relationship to ordinary belief at the level of the brain. Nor it is known whether religious believers and non-believers differ and how they evaluate statement of fact. Our lab, that's their lab, that's the Harris lab, uh, previously has used functional neuroimaging to study beliefs as a general mode of cognition and others have looked specifically at religious beliefs. However, no research has compared these two states of mind directly. Now let's go to their methodological and principle findings. So what they did is they used MRI to measure changes in the brain of 30 subjects, which means 15 committed Christians and 15 non-believers. Okay? As they evaluated the truth and falsity of religious and non-religious propositions. Notice what it says. Both groups and in both categories of stimuli, belief, judgment, that is true, versus judgment of false, was associated with greater signal in the ventromedial prefrontal cortex. Okay? But deeper, ventral, medial prefrontal cortex. An area of important for self-representation, emotional associations, reward, and goal-driven behavior. This region showed greater signal whether subjects believe on statements about God, the Virgin Mary, etc., or statements about ordinary facts. A comparison of both stimulus categories suggests that religious thinking is more associated with brain regions that govern emotion, self-representation, and cognitive conflict, while thinking about ordinary facts is more reliant upon memory retrieval networks. So what they're able to I'm going to try and put it in layman language that my daughter would understand as well, is that a region in the prefrontal cortex called ventral medial 
prefrontal cortex is activated whenever there is a choice or a, 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 a statement is made regarding religious values, whether it be Virgin Mary or whatever. So it does not, does not distinguish religion. So I'm just saying here that brain activity, you ask for, uh, for what happens to the brain, this brain, the, the, the govern emotion, reward, and goal-driven are activated. Okay? Which means that through that, you have, you have satisfaction. We can say at peace. Okay? Now you are saying, we have to say it like that because there are people also, we know it as fact, there are people as well who will say, well, going into mantra, whatever, they have peace. I'm just saying, stating as, as it is on, 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 the, on the scientific level. We're going to go to the religious part in a sense that. Now, you have to understand the root of the problem or root of the issue. The root of the issue is that Buddhism, Hinduism deals with the inner. It focuses on what? Self. Christianity focuses on what? Giving, not receiving. Okay? So, the same activation in the brain takes place at a rewarding and satisfaction level, but one is satisfied because he received. The other is satisfied because he gave. The Bible says, it's blessing more. It's more of blessing to what? Give. To give than to receive. Okay? So there's a different, you are now, when you are doing this, okay? Now let's, let's go into the process. You have a character, okay? So you, character begins with a thought. Character formation. Just go with me on this one. I'm going to make it as easy as possible. You have thoughts. Thoughts leads to action. Okay, behavior. Action. Action leads to habits. Right? You re action that is repeated leads to habits. Habits, when you have thought, you have acted, you have habitually continued done that, it leads to lifestyle. That is now my lifestyle. That's who I am. And your lifestyle determines your character. Okay? After your character, it determines your destiny. Whether you're ready for heaven or you're ready for something else. You, you see it? And so, if you are concentrating or your brain has been tuned to receiving, your destiny is about receiving, receiving, receiving. My character is me, 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 me. Christ's character is about you, 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 and you. Opposite. Does it help? 
in terms of what happened to your brain specifically, I, 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 I wish I have given you a more satisfaction that you cannot tell the difference in terms of activity. What you do see is the two activity, but the result is different. Religion and the mind, the love which Christ diffuses through the whole being is a vitalizing power. Every vital part, the brain, the heart, the nerves, it touches with healing. By, by it, the highest energies, the being are aroused to activity. It frees the soul from guilt and sorrow, the anxiety and care that crush the life forces. With it comes serenity, composure. It implants to the soul joy that nothing earthly can destroy. Joy in the Holy Spirit, health-giving, life-giving joy, ministry of healing, 115. So the difference with what we have and what others have is the joy that is found in Christ. And what does it mean? That's what we say, the highest of energy that is being aroused to activity. It frees the soul from what? Guilt and sorrow. And what you will find that the major, major, I would say, patience of psychologists, of psychiatrists, it's not necessarily dealing with, with all these other issues. It's when you go to the root of the problem, there's the guilt, there's the sorrow. Something is wrong with the relationship they have with others. They have been mistreated. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of animosity. There is no forgiveness. And we know that that leads to what? Illness. You will notice that people that are really sick in some, in some cases, they have a lot of anger, a lot of guilt or a lot of sorrow. It says, if this implants, it's, it implants the soul, just the same, it, with guilt and sorrow. Just as much as joy. Okay, let's go to the work of Christ. Christ's work is to heal. God's healing power runs through all nature. As I briefly mentioned it to you, if trees cut, if human being is wounded or breaks a bone, nature begins at once to repair the injury. God has designed your body and my body in such a way that there is a mechanism in place to help healing process take place. So what we need to do is we have this mechanism in place is to help what God has given us in place to maintain at an optimal level and not at a compromised level. Even before the need exists, the healing agencies are in readiness. As soon as part is wounded, every energy is bent to the work of restoration. It is the spiritual realm. Before sin created the need, God provided the remedy. Every soul that yields to temptation is wounded, bruised by the adversary, but wherever there is sin, there is a Savior. It is Christ's work to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to set liberty them that are bruised. Beautiful quotation. To everything, there is a remedy. Why? Because God has provided the physical law within us. He has built us in that way. 
But what we need to understand and what we need to, uh, to find is how to tap into that in such a way that the, the process of healing can be help. What impresses and awakens the mind? Notice what it says. The truth of the Bible received with uplift mind and soul. In the word of God, that man finds subject for the greatest thought, the loftiest aspiration. Here we learn the object of our creation and the means by which that object may be attained. We learn how to improve wisely the present life and how to secure the future life. No other book can satisfy the questioning of the mind or the cravings of the heart. Now, why do I write this? Why, why do I use these quotes? I simply use this quote that we know that brain activity helps in the healing of the mind and the body and the brain activity in terms of physical input as well as intellectual input. And if we're going to be reading something that is going to help us be stimulated intellectually, why not read the Bible? If you're going to feed yourself with something because you need to stimulate your brain intellectually, the Bible is the one with the deepest thought and the loveliest aspirations. And he has so much to learn. It's a scientific book. Just as much as a spiritual book. Under the study of the scripture, the mind expands and becomes more even balanced than if occupied in obtaining general information from the books that are used which have no connection with the Bible. No knowledge is so firm, so consistent, and far-reaching so that obtained from the study of the Word of God. It is the foundation of all true knowledge. You know, you, 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 there's a saying at least in, uh, in the scientific community that's like, why are the Jews so smart? Why are you so smart? I mean, in, in each department, scientific department, you'll find a Jew there sitting on top. And these guys are smart. What are they doing? Now, if, if you really learn how the, the normally they, they, their upbringing and so forth, right from the very beginning, the ideal, and, and it, maybe it's genetic, but maybe there's also something about them, about their lifestyle. Education, okay? But if, if you look at their education, the normal child, they don't normally learn anything in the first six years of life. But wait until they get to seven. Boom! They learn the Talmud, the Torah first. I mean, memorized it. Not just learn. I'm talking about memorized. What's Leviticus 3.11? Da-da-da-da-da-da. What's Leviticus 29? There's none. You know? It's like, you see what I'm saying? They know the book like the back of their hand. That's how they have learned the, the education. They memorized it. Could it be that looking at memorization of the scripture widens the mind? Expands our thoughts? helps us analyze not only moral, not only spiritual, but in governance. Look at the world banking. Who runs them? They run them. Look at the media empire. Who runs them? 
they run them. You go everywhere, they are everywhere. And they control it. Why? And you wonder, why, why so? It should be the Adventist. I mean, you, you go, to a, you go, to, a, you go to, 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 to a store and you look at tofu. It's like, okay, who, who makes this? Why should it be Adventist? Tofu should be an Adventist. Right? You go to the muesli in the store, like natural muesli bio. It's like, who makes it? Somebody else. It should have been the Adventist. Yes. But my point is that we should be the ones to lead these things. Why? Because we have the health message. But why is somebody else have them? They have health emphasis. We have a health message. Even higher level. You see, They're, the, the, the emphasis of them is that you, you live longer, that you can sin more. Right? You may not put it that way, but that's what the result. But what is the emphasis of ours? To give glory to God. And so I'm, I'm just saying these things that the, 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 the book of education says, higher than the highest human thoughts is God's ideal for you and I. Higher than the highest thoughts. Think of the highest you can think of now. God's ideal for you is higher than that. My ideal is that Adventist owns tofu and all these things. God's ideal is much higher than that. Okay, let's take it to the next one. Godliness, Godlikeness is the what? The goal to be reached. What does that mean? Godliness, Godlikeness. Godliness, Godlikeness in our thoughts, in our actions, in our conduct, in our emotional intelligence. That is God's ideal for you and I. Mm -hmm. Yes. To be leaders, not the tail, to be the head. Not to be obnoxious. I'm not talking about that. But to lead them to the foot of the cross. To lead them to what? Heaven. But what do we do? We don't have that higher attainment for ourselves. I'm not talking about reach the highest goal that I'm going to be. You know, before I became, became a, a Christian, before I gave my life to the Lord, my goal was to be the best scientist in my field. Why? I was new in, I was an, an immigrant in England, my parents, and, and well, I was raised by my grandparents, and I joined my parents in the United Kingdom. And when I got to the United Kingdom, uh, to cut the long story short, at 16-year-old, 7-year-old, I worked in McDonald's. I worked in McDonald's for six years, so I know what they do. They're good, very good at marketing. Okay? And, and so I... And when I was there, I was told that I'm stupid every single day. You know, a customer would come, you'd smile at them, how can I help you? And, and somebody would just snap at you for asking them how they are. And they'd tell you, you're so stupid. So go back where you come from. And every day you're told this. Okay? 
And so I thought to myself, okay, I go to university. My intention to go to university was for a wrong purpose. Why? Because I want to show them that they're wrong. That was my goal for higher education, to prove that they are wrong. And I had a lot of anger at the time. Okay? And so my moral judgment was clouded. But when I gave my life to the Lord, it's like, okay, have the, have the science, whatever. That's not my goal anymore. It changes. So it's the Word of God that changed that. It, it is not my work. It's the studying of the Scripture that expands your mind to a wider plan of God for your life. Okay, the mind increases in power and efficiency, efficiency by use. It becomes strong by hard thinking. He who uses most diligently his mental and physical power will achieve the greatest results. Every power of the being is strengthened by what? By action. Why? Because again, action refines it. The pathways in your brain is strengthened. Okay? So whatever you, that's why I'm saying that whatever your action, your thoughts leads to action. Action leads to habits. Habits leads to lifestyle. Then it determines your character. That's what it's trying to say. Okay? So by our thoughts being replaced by the worldly thoughts. Why? Because our thoughts are flooded with things of God. Then our actions will be godly. Our habits will be godly. Our lifestyle will be godly. Our character will be godly. Amen? Amen. That is God's ideal. And then, heaven. When the heavenly principle of eternal love fills the heart, it flows to others. Because love is the principle of action and modifies character, governs the impulses, controls the passion, subdues enmity, and elevates and enables the affection. So the question is, what motivates what you do for others? Is it to be saved? Because that will become a burden to you. You see, that's why the motivation for us doing something is what? Because of our love for God and love for others. But how do you love others? It is only when you spend time by mingling with them that you learn to love them. We are social beings. We're not created to be isolated. You, you see my point? Christ's love could not be and you see, we know that He loves mankind. But in order for that love to grow, He needed to mingle with man. So, those who love God cannot harbor what? Hatred or envy. Again, hatred and envy is one of the cause of mental illness. Why? Because when you grow, your mind is developed with hate and anger. It causes oxidative stress in your brain. Eventually, you will have damaged emotions. Okay? We know that stress does it. And when you hate somebody, when you're envy of somebody, 
it stresses you. Why? No. Give you an example. You have a person whom you cannot stand and is in the same next to you. You can't stand it. You're stressed. Right? So, again, we know that those who love God cannot harbor hatred or envy. When heavenly principle of eternal love fills the heart, it will flow out unto others. Trust awakens trust. You can find that in the, in the woman at the well. The woman at the well ignored Jesus. Why? Because she knew that the Samaritans and the Jews don't have any dealings with one another. So she ignores him as if he didn't exist. Okay? And then she says, what? Please give me water. That word or that act, trust awakens trust. The, what, the woman's curiosity is now waiting. Why is it that you, a Jew, holy, is asking me, sinner, of the most sacred thing, water, life? Okay? For her, that was a reawakening. Okay? And it was that the beginning of a healing process in her life because she knew that she was a sinner. Even that, not just because she's a Samaritan, because she is what? An adulterer. She was depressed. Why? She goes to the well on what? Midday. Who goes to the well on the midday? You go to the well on the midday to get water. By the time you get home, you've drunk it all already. It's time to go back to the well. It's hot. But notice what, ha what had taken place. Somebody who had a lot of anxiety. I would say this person, this woman, suffered anxiety in the presence of others because of her sin. Okay? Now, she had a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus says, if you know it is who's asking you of, your wa of water, you will ask him. Of the living water and she thought well what, what is this water because you will never thirst again and she says okay give me this to drink Jesus says didn't give it off her right away Jesus says go and call your husband what do you mean go and call my husband she changes the conversation okay she says go and call your husband you know what is that saying what she's what Jesus is saying to, 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 the, to the woman says, give me your sin. You want to be healed? You want to be free from anxiety-related disease? Give me your sin. Then I can give you that living water. What happens afterwards? After the woman had given it to Jesus, she's no longer suffering from anxiety. She's now ready to be socialized. She went to the city, to the very people, and said, Hey, man, remember me? Guess what? I found a real man, the seventh in my life, and his name is Jesus. No longer shy. No longer suffering anxiety, depression. She's now ready to be with people. Why? Because the sin had been given to the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? An example? 
As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Many thoughts make up the writ unwritten history of a single day. Notice this. Many thoughts make up the unwritten history of a single day. And these thoughts had much to do with the formation of character. The actual disciple of life is made up of little things. The training of the thoughts is essential. The training of the heart, the control of the thoughts in cooperation with the Holy Spirit will give control of the words and will ensure quietness of the mind, contentment and peace. There will be joy in the contemplation of the riches of God's transforming grace. The solution to the world's problem, most of them, is the root is this spiritual problem. So the psychiatric department, the psychology department, the neurology department, I can tell you that at least in the university I work in, psychiatric department is the biggest of all departments. And you wonder, how is that possible? Why? Because today in the society that we live in, people are presumptuous. People have disregard for the law of God. And consequence is mental illness. We want to reduce mental illness? Go back to basic. Fundamental, found in the Word of God. We're going to try to bring it to close. Jesus wants you to be happy. But you cannot be happy in having your own way and following the impulses of your heart. Self is to be crucified, not now and then, but what? Daily. The physical, mental, and spiritual must be subordinate to the will of God. We cannot trust our own heart. Why? Because the Bible says, Your heart and my heart is deceitful above all who can know it. We don't know it. I cannot read your heart. Only God can. I can't even read my heart, but I know it's evil. Rejoice. I want you to think of this all. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Those who do this have a joyous life. No unpleasant comes from their lips or from the atmosphere surrounding the soul, for they do not feel that they are better than others. When you have confidence in the Mighty One, your experience is not borrowed, it is your own. Rejoice and rejoice always. The best medicine, a merry heart. You know the song? Do it good like a medicine, like a medicine to a broken heart. A broken spirit dries up the bones, but a merry heart is the joy of my soul. All right, you learned a song today. A merry heart is the best medicine. But how can you have a merry heart? It is only through the Word of God, through God living in your heart. Yes, my brother. Okay, uh, it's, it's a good question. So, question is, can you get healing? Now, 
you have to understand. I'll give you an example. Somebody who has a history of schizophrenia, it's a mental illness, joins your youth group. Okay? And this young person, you didn't know that he has a history of this. He was on medication before he came, and he was fine. Then he hears a health presentation like this. And he suddenly says, okay, I decide I will not take my medicine for the next three months, four months. And then all of a sudden, they go into psychotic symptoms. And then the question is that, what do we do? Okay? Well, it, it is obvious that in conditions that as such, okay, you all, one has to follow the health law. And if that still fails, we are counseled to use what we know is best in terms of uh, pharmaco pharmacology or medication. Medication is not bad. It is the only bad thing about this, okay, from my personal uh, understanding, is that it is used like this. I have this problem, I can fix it with my medicine, so I'm going to continue living the way I want to live. You see my point? You see, look, I have a heart issue, but I have this bottle of tablet right there, so I'm going to go and dive into the steak, pork, whatever you have there, and continue my way. That is where the problem is. Okay? But the, the point is, we are to do whatever we can to help God in order that we be restored. But at the same time, God allowed these things to be in place to help us. So eventually, my suggestion would be, you, to, in those cases, to use medication but reduce them eventually and eventually remove them. But you don't remove them all at once thinking that all will be well when you have not done anything. God does His part we do our part. It's not, it's not works by righteousness, don't get me wrong, but it's a responsibility from our part not to always say, here God, do it for me. Or else we don't see the value of it. You see, we need to understand the value of what we have. Does it help the question that you have? Because there is also a... a, a you try all the natural ways, not, I have no problem with that. No problem, but I'm just, what I'm saying is that we do all that we can to help God in order, not to help God, but to be ready to co-partner with Him. We do our part by submitting to His will, submitting to His counsels. He will do His part. Is that Okay. Any more questions? Tomorrow we're going to be dealing with the seven steps of positive living, maintaining a healthy mind, and a emotional, uh, stable emotional intelligence to win people for Christ. Okay? So what are we, any more questions? I know you had a heavy day, so if you have any question, don't hesitate to let me know. I have emails of those people who wanted all these presentations. I will not send them to you until uh, I, the, the, the workshop is finished.
then I'll send them all at once. Otherwise, I'll repeat doing it three times. And I will miss someone like that. Okay? So though I know that some of you have already given me the email. So if you still want it, you can come here in the front and write your names on my email box. And then you will get the, the presentations for whatever purpose you need it for, for free. Okay? So, class dismissed, but before that, let's pray. Let's stand. Our Father in heaven, Lord, once more we thank you that through the prophetic writing and through your word, you reveal to us the current state of man, the solutions to our problems, the counsels that we ought to follow. And Lord, it is clear that not just for the entire world, but for us that are present here, daily submission is required. So we come, dear Lord, to you this evening with all of our fiber and being. And we come and surrender ourselves to you once again and ask you to take full control, Lord, Help us to be the people that you call us to be and your ideals be reached within our minds, within our emotions to give glory, honor, and praise to you that others will see that you are a mighty and living God and they give their life to you before thou comest. Thank you, dear Lord, once again for this afternoon session. And we ask that you will prepare our hearts and minds for this evening, that you can speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.